Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Whenever we find ourselves in uncertain times, it's important to listen for voices of wisdom. And this has always been true. Hearing truths that resonate and touch the human heart is a very good way to navigate confusion. Whenever we find ourselves amongst old structures and narratives that are no longer vibrant and alive, the soul is indicating that it is time for initiation into something new. Together, we're traveling the faint path, you and I. Right now, there is no sure, safe way. This much, I think, is clear. Sometimes, one simple conversation can make a difference in your perspective and trajectory. It's interactions that carry depth that reaffirm our humanity. And these conversations can help us back onto our true path or hero's journey. And it is clear to me now more than ever that we're here to help one another in these challenging times. And before we get to our interview, I would like to make a small request. If you like the show and our message and feel it would help others, please help us grow by sharing with a friend or posting our link on your social media. Or if you really love the show, you can take a few minutes and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. It's a slow, steady process to grow your listenership. So thank you, dear listeners, for giving us a hand with this. And finally, enjoy the episode. Paul Dunyon is a co-founder of the Connecticut Men's Gathering, a biannual retreat for men that began in 1992. He's the founder of Boys to Men, a mentoring community for teenage boys, and he's been in private practice as a psychotherapist for 37 years and is presently a faculty member for Mobius Executive Training. Paul is also the author of several books, including my favorite, Path of the Novice Mystic, and his blogs can be accessed at Huffington Post as well as Medium.com. Here's my interview with Paul Dunyon. Okay, I'm here with author Paul Dunyon. Paul, welcome back to Basecamp for Men. It's good to have you back on the show. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my first question, you know, we're both writers. Uh, how has how has COVID-19 changed your routine, if any? Has, has it changed a lot in your professional life? I'm doing a lot of writing and a lot of meditating. So in some ways, it's been good for that and then terrible on a bunch of other stuff. Right. No, you're right. It has been good for meditating and writing. <laughs> I've been doing excessive screen time telemedicine with my clients. Ah. So we're just getting back to uh, getting into the office with uh, social distancing. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess my, my first question is, what do you see as some of the the deeper lessons, like the soul lessons that we might be learning right now, both as uh, on an individual level and as a collective? Um, I think one of the big deal lessons mm-hmm. is that I hear people talking all the time in the pandemic, there's a way of holding reality like it's unpredictable and there's a lot of unknown, mm-hmm. uh, which is certainly true of being in a pandemic. H- however, my best wisdom is it was true prior to the pandemic. Right. I mean, what the pandemic wa- did mostly was shake the denial. Yep. You know? So, you know, I, I'm always in favor of the, uh, of the initiatory process that so many uh, indigenous peoples did. The anthropologists called the uh, ritual of the mysterium tremendum. Mm-hmm. You know, boys are reminded for three or four years 
several nights a week by the elders that life is fundamentally mysterious, unpredictable, and insecure. Yes. And we can say, I mean, one way of holding the pandemic is it's initiating us back into that mystery. That's great. I love it. I don't think I've heard somebody frame it quite like that. I've heard a lot of different narratives. Um, and you write you write about liminal space or liminal time. Um, this kind of in-between stories is how I think of liminal time. Like we, we, we've left one story and we haven't quite arrived at the new one. Um, you write, liminal time can be thought of as spiritual as a spiritual pregnancy. You are neither the person prior to conception nor the one after the birth. You may feel fear regarding the familiar falling away and the uncertainty of what is to come. Um, how, how do we navigate liminal time since we are in between stories? Yeah, it's a challenging time because there is a kind of a crisis of identity right. in liminal time. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important... I heard, a, I heard a fellow use a term last week, actually, that I liked a lot. He said, it's a great time to tenderize. Mm, I like that. And I like that a lot. It is a time to become more tender. Mm-hmm. And in the tenderness, to more d- deeply appreciate how this idea of trying to do the journey alone is just absurd. Right. We're not supposed to a- attempt to make this journey by ourselves. Yeah. And, and so to get ready and more willing to ask for help and support mm-hmm. and to really learn about what it means to take it in, to take in support. And to become more grateful for that and also more generous in offering it. I think it's a great time in liminal space to tenderize. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, and you, you wrote this. I love this. You wrote, is there a belief that has lingered long after its usefulness? I think that is a fantastic question. And I wanted to ask you, like, just on a first take, what might be some of the beliefs that we hold as a tribe? of people that may have outstayed its welcome, so to speak? Well, I think certainly the beliefs that there is a certain metrics related to getting educated, having an appropriate bank account, appropriate neighborhood, appropriate spouse, will yield life being more understanding and secure and predictable. Mm -hmm. That belief is really... is worn out. I mean, that yeah. belief has to go. It's, it's been around too long. Yep. Yeah. And I think I think it gets it's popular because we sell people goods. I mean, if you can acquire such and such, then life is going to be more predictable and secure. And it's it's not it's not real. But life might get a bit more comfortable, but it's not going to get more predictable. I think people probably they carry this subconscious belief because of what you just said, like we're sold this bill of goods that will be safe somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, we're really not safe, but, but no, I think, right. you know, get a job, make some money and you'll at least yep. be safe from poverty or ridicule or, or whatever it is that you're afraid of. Right. Right. So yeah, I, it is, a, it is a lot about safety and it's mm-hmm. a lot about alleged success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some illusions of belonging even. Right, right, right. Well, and I, I was sitting with this question and, and I thought also we've kind of outgrown this survival of the fittest. Uh, competitiveness, I think, is something that is not in alignment right now either. Like every man for himself and only the strong survive. And, you know, I got to get mine and, you know, that's enough. I, I, I think that's really outdated right now. It feels not in alignment with what's happening. 
You know, I, it, I think that's true. That's why I hear so much people say, we can get through this together. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we're at the edge of adopting, I think, a greater sense of unity consciousness than yeah. ever. Even yeah. though there's a tremendous amount of divisiveness everywhere, yeah. I, my hunch is it's a prelude to the possible emergence of more unity consciousness. I agree with you. I'm sensing the same thing. I feel like this is this last gasp of division and separation. I, I also think I wanted to ask you about this, if this is something you're picking up on too, is I, I was thinking of outdated beliefs and I was thinking about sovereignty and it seems like people, myself included, have looked to quote unquote, the authorities to tell us what the narrative is for so long. It was like, what should I do? Should I wear a mask? Should I like, we're looking over there for the narrative when we are more than capable of generating perhaps a way more uplifting narrative out of the tribe of ourselves rather than always looking over there to say, you know, um, what should we do, authorities? Yeah, but I think that's a really important uh, perspective because what it means is that for too long, what happens is authority gets what I call externally referenced. Mm-hmm. It exists somewhere outside of me. Uh, and I think it's time to, exactly to have more of an internal reference point to authority. Mm-hmm. I, I think when that happens, there's a greater likelihood of people becoming more accountable. Yeah. When the authority is externally referenced, all the accountability goes with it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah. else is supposed to get this right. Right. It's Trump's fault. It's Pelosi's right. fault. Whatever. Whoever's right. fault it is, it couldn't be that I'm just not right. gener- generating sovereignty. Right. And when authority is internally referenced, accountability likely increases. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, so I've used this quote a whole bunch, um, but I wanted to ask you about it. It's from Einstein. He says, quote, we cannot solve our problems from the same level of consciousness that created those problems, unquote. And it, this seems like spot on right now to me. Um, and it, and it, you know, kind of what you were saying earlier, like it seems like there's this unity consciousness. Consciousness is evolving. It seems like we're at the cusp of a new chapter in our collective hero's journey. Um, but what what are some of the tools that we can use to facilitate the emergence of this new consciousness or new way of thinking, knowing that it's going to take some new creativity and new consciousness to sort of solve the issues that we're facing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there's a couple of things. So I would go back to what you said originally about what are the soul lessons right now. Uh-huh. One of the soul lessons is what does it mean to get lost? Mm. And how do we get lost shamelessly? Uh, that's a big deal. In order, f- in order to move out of, to make a paradigm shift out of a way of being conscious, it's almost inevitable. We have to be willing to get lost. And I can't tell you how many times through the years people come into my office and I'll listen to what they're telling me. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, what I'm really hearing is they feel lost. And if I say to them, I think you're feeling lost. They, there's this wake up thing that happens in their eyes. Like, yeah, you're right. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm really lost. <laughs> and it takes a while with some support for them to, uh, to be able to integrate. That's not an awful thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It means you probably have stepped away from the familiar. 
And there's, there's nothing going to be discovered or created without stepping away from the familiar. There's a great book out on ignorance by a neuroscientist from uh, Columbia University. And he, he, he references Einstein and says one of the differences between him and other scientists, he said he, like other scientists, would gather data, mm-hmm. do the experimentation, collaborate with other scientists, test the hypothesis. But in the end, when the normal scientist would make a conclusion, Einstein would too, but he'd quickly move to being confused and lost. Yeah. He yeah. Would conf- he'd go then to where he was ignorant. So he was willing to have beginner's mind. He was willing he to was. get lost. Yeah. He yeah. was over and over again. And it is that mind, it is embracing ignorance that opens the door to the new consciousness. But to do that shamelessly is critical. Most people who come through educational institutions, like all of us, it's not easy. I mean, ignorance always takes a bad rap, doesn't it? It does. And being lost <laughs> as well. Being lost takes a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I think that's critical. I think learning how to be lost happens best by being accompanied by other people who are willing to embrace being lost. Mm-hmm. I don't think being lost alone is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Because that person will typically turn against themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll do something that I like James Hollis says. He says it gets too easy then to embrace contrived certainty. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Contrived certainty is typically what people do in the name of I can't tolerate being lost anymore. Right, right. The, another, another tool I see, oh, I'm seeing a lot of, I, I lead men's groups and workshops or whatever, and I'm seeing a lot of men gravitating towards using meditation right now. Um, a lot of sitting in silence. And um, I see that as a really big tool. I think it cultivates um, higher knowing. I think it cultivates this kind of uh, two-way communication with the divine, however you conceive the divine. Um, but I also feel like it, you know, right now we're swimming in, you know, information and misinformation and propaganda, and a lot of fear. And I feel like one thing that meditation does really well, it almost like turns you almost into an alchemist where you where you start to trans transmute some of those lower energies into you know gratitude love uh, awe reverence um, appreciation all these different higher sort of frequency feeling states and thinking states and I think it's it's brilliant for that and I feel like a lot of people are using it right now um, thank God because I feel like if we're just going to listen to the authorities, we're not going to have much of a chance to be the narrative of the next chapters. No, I think that's, I mean, I think meditation also is a really lovely tool for staying self-referenced, staying internally referenced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, We have, my wife and I, we have this astrologist who's connected to us. He's more of a damn oracle. I mean, this guy's unbelievable Mm -hmm. in terms of his vision. But he said to me recently, that uh, it's important that I, for example, be quiet. And uh, when people are saying, where is he? You want to hear other people say, we don't know. We don't know where he is. Yeah. And he meant by that, it's really time for you to shut down and turn inwardly. Mm. The, the ego, I think, really is attached to the notion of, if I'm doing a lot and I'm talking a lot, I am a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's deeply unfortunate on yeah. some level. <laughs> and I think what meditation does, or even contemplative living does, is invite silence. And as you're, you referenced, it's welcoming some deeper knowing mm-hmm. in the silence. But it means asking the ego to relax and have a tea. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, what what myths have you been most drawn to? Um, and do you continue to study myth? Or is it something that you crossed over at one point and then you got into your own writing? And then has that changed over time? Did you get really into one set? Or did you, you know, do a lot of Joseph Campbell at some point? And then, you know, h- how was how is your own... Uh, I guess, path along the mythic byways? What, what does that look like over the years for you? Well, I think my orientation around myth, I, mean, I was raised by Celtic storytellers. Mm. So story is really where I come from. I mean, every Sunday afternoon as a kid, I'd be sitting on the floor in my grandmother's living room listening to eight or nine, you know, my father, my uncles, and my grandfather tell stories. Yeah. And so story is a big deal for me. Uh, that's never, that has never changed since I was five years old. Because myth is a natural flow from story. Uh, my favorite, I have to say, is probably the water of life. Because it captures so many of the subtleties of what happens to a man when he's willing to embrace loss. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, and you, you said, this was something that jumped out at me. I, I was looking over some of your recent writing and you said um, that you can become fatigued uh, caused by a mandate to be excessively heroic. And I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, as somebody who I frame things a lot with the, the monomyth of the hero's journey, not as a you know, gotta be, gotta be more necessarily. I, I use it as a way to indicate where maybe the road less traveled is for a man and where his heart's indicating for him to go and make that be the hero's journey. But I wanted to ask you about that because I was curious, like what would be uh, fatigued by um, a mandate to be excessively heroic? What would that look like exactly? Well, for me, uh, for me, <laughs> I have been in my life at times very, excessively heroic Mm -hmm. and what it means mostly is it's it's a it's a denial of limits it's not embracing my limits right and not understanding surrender as an act of power from the excessive heroic what happens to me and i think a lot of guys is i i've gotten caught with the notion that the only form of power is will willpower right and that's half the story I think the other 80% of the story is surrender. Yeah. Uh, but that's, the, that's not our typical understanding of a heroic posture. No. Being willing to exercise surrender as power. So I would say those two things, the denial of my limits and denying surrender as a form of power. Uh, well, we were so, you're, you're an athlete as well. I grew up as an athlete. Uh, surrender is not was not in the storyline it was always the the heroes were the athletes that overcame all this you know stuff to excel so it was always you know the hardest worker just relentlessly courageous and up to task you know and right uh, Right. you know as boys i mean i i really admired 
the athletes, you know, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, you know, all, all, all Walter Payton, you name it, that overcame things. Uh, but you're right. There wasn't surrender. Wasn't part of that storyline at all <laughs> that I could see. No. <laughs> so no, it wasn't at all. Yeah. And, and I got a, I got an extra dose of it because as a kid, my, my father's bedtime story was the battle of Thermopylae. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the bedtime story. Good, good luck <laughs> living up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I had heroic juice poured in every ear and orifice of my body. I mean, it, I had to really work hard and still have to work hard, even at 72 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, well, on the topic of courage, uh, what courage is life asking of you now? Like, how are you framing courage? What is it? What's the next chapter look for you, look like for you? Like what is being courageous right now for Paul Dunyon in the next chapter? I mean, I think courage right now for me to, to a great degree is being willing to live life on life's terms more, more than on my terms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and actually this book that hopefully will be out at the end of the year or next, early next year. I mean, the title is Wisdom, Apprenticing to the Unknown. Mm. That's great. Yeah, there is this sense in which my courage is to more give up some will and being willing to live life on life's terms. And I think one thing that that it entails, and a friend of mine, my friend Ray, is really good at at outlining this. He says that what we have to do as maturing, aging men is pay attention to our excessive attachment to being witnessed. I really like that a lot. I do too. And so part of the courage for me is letting go of any excessive attachment to being witness. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, and I also, I think you and I might've talked about this before. Uh, I, that, I can see that being a valuable uh, detachment, but also on the flip side, I've noticed my uh, reluctance to really witness younger men in a way, you know, like to really see them in their struggles, in their strengths, in their youth, Mm. like Mm. and not really honor them for being this shining, you know, 20 year old. Uh, I still carry a little of that shadow of they're stealing the glory or something from me. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, this, uh-huh. you know what I mean? It's this weird, like, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a shadow from competing with men for the attention of, of women or whatever, you know, it's like, yeah. But I think it's great that you can acknowledge that mm-hmm. uh, because if we can't as men get clear on our competitive edges when we come together, yeah. You can't do unity consciousness with other men. Right, exactly, exactly. So the, that kind of awareness you're having, I think, is really important. Yeah. And I think where it leads, that kind of awareness, I believe, leads to more spaciousness, where I start feeling like there's a hunger to see younger men and bless them where they are. Yep. But I think the starting point for sure, it's exactly what you're acknowledging, and, and that's always been true for me. Yeah, I'm. I'm super. It's weird right now. It's the whole world's looking upside down and sideways. Um, there, you know, the news is, you know, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and there's just. But I have this incredible optimism right now 
um, about unity consciousness and the evolution of consciousness. I feel this upspring, this wellspring and sort of quickening mm-hmm. in the tribe. It's really exciting. I'm hearing language being used in more places in, in, that's upliftment, that's uplifting yeah. and yeah. inspiring. And people are, 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 I don't know, I'm super excited in a time that looks like it should be dire and we should just be hunkered down, uh, you know, uh, hoarding our savings or whatever. I feel super optimistic right now. Yeah, I have it too. I think that the responsibility I like to, I like to take on as part of some support of my own sovereign and magician energy is to mm-hmm. pay attention to where is it that my attitude promotes separation, unnecessary separation. Yeah. And I, had, I was in February, I was teaching in Spain, in Portugal, rather. And on a Monday night, I was teaching, and this younger man, 25 years younger than me, came in, and he was doing the, the brunt of the teaching Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And there was a colleague of mine taking a walk with me, and I said to him, I mean, what was I? The, I said, the preliminary? I was... Uh, you were the opening band. I was the opening man, right? <laughs> and he and I laughed about it. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to separate myself from him. Yeah. He has things to offer, and I need to pay attention to that rather than separating. But I could feel the, yeah, how come I'm not the main show? Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Right. Well, Paul, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I can't wait for the new book. We'll have to have another conversation as we get closer to that. But it's just always such a pleasure to talk to you uh, during this weird time. I can't think of a better way to spend the morning than, than chatting with you. So thanks for coming on and sharing your insights. It was awesome to talk to you again. Yeah, you're welcome, Tony. I enjoy it also. Find out more about Paul and his work and writing, go to www.pauldunyon.com. I so enjoy talking with Paul, as you can probably tell. I come away feeling better and more connected to my truth and to what is really happening, as opposed to what all the media noise is trying to convince me about what is happening. And I love what Paul said about when we are in a paradigm shift, as we so clearly are right now, our willingness to get shamelessly lost is something that can serve us well. It's an interesting notion, and it runs completely counter to how we've been cultured as men. And what he said about cultivating tenderness is so powerful. In mythic terms, this is activating and strengthening the archetypal lover. What if, as men, we take on being more tender and caring? Would that make us less manly? Would it make us less courageous? What if this was the direction that our collective courage was taking us right now? our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men. 